0: for the last several weeks since I began here and we're going to continue that today and I mentioned last week how we started a mini-series on this idea of sufficiency. It's at least a two or three week lesson and so we're, today we're going to speak about the sufficiency of God's Word. Last week if you remember we spoke about the sufficiency of the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week we might do part two to this if we run out of time or we might go to the sufficiency of God's grace. But either way, we're glad you're here, and if you have your Bibles, we might be flipping all over today. So you guys remember the sword drills of old? You guys remember those from Sunday school class where you had to find the passage before everybody else? Well, I'm going to have you flipping a lot today. You don't have to flip because all the scripture will be on the screen, and it's going to be from the English Standard Version. That's the standard version. That's the version that I like the most. But um, you can also follow along in your Bible. In fact, we encourage that. But before we get to the lesson today, you ever have to pick a bone with somebody? Hopefully not with your pastor. But sometimes you have to pick a bone with somebody, right? Well, I'm going to pick a bone today before we start, and I hope that's okay. Because I have some things in my life that I think need to be improved. Anyone else? Anyone else got some things in their life they need improving? Well, I'm going to pick a bone with some things in my life that I need improved, okay? And I'm going to start this way with you, fingernail clippers. Why don't you try catching those nail clippings for once? instead of flinging them right into my eyeball. See, when you have seven kids going on eight, there are nail clippings flying all over the house. It's a war zone. Someone needs to improve the nail clippers. What's going on there? They fly everywhere. i got to pick a bone with batteries as well. Anyone else? Stop always being the wrong kind of battery that I need for toys and tools and electronics. No matter if I have AAA... It requires double-A. If I have double-A, it requires triple-A. If I have AA and triple-A, it needs one of those little watch batteries. Batteries. I'm talking to you, sweat glands. Are you a friend or a foe? They tell me you cool me down, but all you really do is make me wet and stinky. Sweat glands. I got a bone to pick with you, coffee. That's right, coffee. Stop making me run to the bathroom in the middle of important meetings. <laughs> Happens a lot, doesn't it, David? David validates that. I got a bone to pick with you, hair. Stop growing in all the wrong places. I don't need hair in my ears. I need it on my head like a normal person. Hair. I got a bone to pick with you, microphone. You need to learn to stay in my ear. Instead of falling off me while I'm preaching. And you also need to mute yourself when I'm singing. Nobody needs to hear me sing and unmute yourself when I'm preaching. Microphones. How about this one? Sense of smell. Sense of smell. Stop being amazing all the time. There's so many bad smells in this world, right? Why don't you gradually get worse like my eyesight? Out of all the senses that we have, why is sense of smell the best for me? I'll never understand it. I got a bone to pick with leftovers. Anyone else? Leftovers. Stop hiding in the back of the fridge, you coward. (laughs) Gradually getting worse and green and fuzzy until I have to throw you out. I got a bone to pick with heating pads and ice packs. Try helping my back feel better instead of finding that one vulnerable spot of exposed skin and burning it off my back. Anyone else? Heating pads and ice packs always finds that exposed skin. And lastly, but not least of all, I got a bone to pick with moose warning signs. <laughs> Stop lying to me every time I use the interstate. We all know there's no moose. I got a bone to pick with some stuff in my life that needs to be improved. Aren't you glad, though, that there's one thing in your life that needs no improvement at all? We're going to talk about the sufficiency. Of God's word today because it is sufficient and we're going to see that from his word and that's interesting. We've been talking about the sufficiency of important things because we want to go forward in Crossroads Church the right way and in order to do that we have to set the proper foundations for this church and so we're doing that. We're going to take as long as it needs. We've been talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. We've been talking about God's name. We've been talking about the gospel. We've been talking about Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Today we're going to look at the sufficiency of God's word. If you remember, this word sufficient is a really powerful word. It's not a word I find myself using a lot, but it's, it's a very powerful word in the English language. And you can really understand what it means just by looking at the synonyms for it. And I showed you this last week. Synonyms for sufficient are ample, plenty, copious, satisfactory, pleasing, acceptable, agreeable, and enough. Is the Word of God that to you? Is the Word of God sufficient to you? I hope it is by this point already. And I believe many in this room could say, yes, the Word of God is sufficient. So maybe this will be nothing more than a powerful reminder. But perhaps we'll learn something today, just of the sufficiency of God's Word in our life. Someone told me the other day they thought I would be a good lawyer. And I considered that a compliment, and my feelings were hurt at the same time. Um, (laughs) When you're talking about the sufficiency of God's word, some of you know, many of you know, I think, that before I was a full-time pastor, we spent 12 years doing ministry work on secular campuses with young adults. And if you know anything about young adults, they are willing to ask you anything, just like my kids are willing to ask me anything. And when you bring a Bible on the campus, on a secular campus, young adults love to challenge you. They do. They think they're the smartest people in the room. I did. When I was a young adult, I was wrong. Um, But they love to challenge you, and I think that's a good thing, because God is not asking for anyone's blind faith. Did you know that? None of us. Christianity is not a blind faith. There is evidence all around us. So if we're going to discover the sufficiency of God's Word, I believe there's a few questions we need to ask in order to do that. Because I could stand here today acting like a lawyer, defending the Word of God, But before we get to why I'm not going to do it that way, I want to look at some questions that we should ask in order to discover the sufficiency of God's word. Number one, what authority does it have? What bearings does it have upon my life? Why should I study the word of God? We're going to answer that. Number two, what power does it have? How is it different than any other book or writing in the world? God's word has a lot to say about that. What wisdom does God's Word have? There's a lot of smart writers and smart books out there. What wisdom does God's Word have that sets it apart of those other writings? If we have time, we're going to look at what purpose does God's Word have? What's the point? What's the point of the Bible? Why do we center our entire church around this book? Why? And number five, we want to look at this. What benefit does it have to me, to you? What personable, personal benefit does God's word have for me as a person living here on the earth? Well, as I said, I, I could act like a lawyer today. I could act like I'm going to defend the word of God as a pastor. That should be my job, but I'm thankful that I don't have to. Charles Spurgeon, my favorite preacher of all time, once said this. He said, defend the Bible. I'd sooner defend a lion. You don't defend the Bible. You open its cage and you let it roar. Amen. That's what we're going to do today. We are going to open the Bible today and let the Bible defend itself. And I'm simply going to be your tour guide today instead of a lawyer, okay? So we'll see how good I am at that. But let's start here. What authority does God's Word have? All authority. All authority. Thank you. All authorities. We're going to see here from the Word of God. But the question is, is why should I study it? What bearings does it have upon my life? Well, God's Word has a lot to say about it. But here this concept of authority makes us a little uneasy, doesn't it? A lot of us don't like the idea of authority. And um, for whatever reason, maybe authority has misused their power, maybe they've been lazy, maybe they've been incompetent, maybe they've been harsh. There's a lot of different authority figures that have let us down over the course of life. And so we often wonder, why do I need authority? Why can't I just be autonomous? In fact, in New Hampshire, we have this nice little slogan and saying, don't we, live free or die. I'm going to live free. I'm going to be my own captain of my own ship. And if not, I'm going down. (laughs) It's a little grim thought. Um, But live free or die is the slogan here in New Hampshire. So what authority should God's word have over our life? Well, it's going to be interesting to find this out. And again, I want to let the word of God dictate itself. And I found a pretty good definition for authority. I'm not sure if you could see that. It's a little tiny up there, but I'm going to read it. Because I think it's a really good definition for the word authority. He said, authority is the right in capacity of one individual to perform what he wills. I'll say that again. Authority is the right and capacity of one individual to perform what he wills. And who, by virtue of his position or office, can command obedience. It has also an application to words spoken or written whose accuracy has been established and whose information can consequently be trusted. Isn't that a good definition for the word authority? Does God's word have that? Can it command obedience? Can it perform what it wills? Can it, by application of words spoken and written, and accuracy that's been established, can its information be consequently trusted in your life? Well, we're going to find that out today, and we're going to let the word of God do the heavy lifting today. We use use this passage from John chapter 1 when we were talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also a beautiful passage to talk about the word of God. And I want to start right here with this first phrase. In John chapter 1, the first phrase says this. In the beginning was the word. Now I'd like to stop there for a moment because I think that's a very unusual phrase. Read it again in your mind. In the beginning was the word. Do you notice it? In the beginning was the Word. That verse basically tells us the Word was before the beginning. The Word existed before everything else existed in life. And that's powerful. The Word was there before creation. Now, if you, again, if you were on the campuses of young adults, they would question you and challenge you and go, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, pause. Minister, pastor, I have a question for you. That can't be so, because the Bible was written by men thousands and thousands of years after the world was created, right? Men wrote the Bible thousands of years after that. There's no way the Word of God was there in the beginning. Well, the answer to that question is simple. Keep reading. Often, if you come to the Bible and something challenges you and you're complexed, uh, excuse me, confused and perplexed, you will often just keep reading and find the answer, because John says, and the Word was with God near God, next to God. And the Word was God. Now, does that mean that these pages here, these physical words in front of me, this book is God? No, that's not what he's saying. Because if you keep reading, he says, he. He's not talking about an it. He's talking about a person. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, I know you notice something here. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The word, the physical pages of the Bible, did not exist. But guess who did exist before the beginning? Jesus. Existed. And this book represents his every thought, every word, every intention, every will. And the greatest thing about our Lord, one of the greatest things, is that he never changes. Ever. We change a lot. We reform, we get better, we get worse. Jesus never changes. So whatever he thought back then, whatever his desires were back then, they are now, they are today, and they will be for the rest of eternity. And you have to imagine that if God was going to put a book together, text together of his will and desires and thoughts and feelings, you can imagine the Almighty God could not be stopped. Is that correct? If the Almighty God is set to do something, his word cannot be thwarted. So every word in here is every word God wanted us to have. Nothing more, nothing less. And that word, those thoughts, those intentions, that will was there before he said, let there be light. And so we find out something really profound here about the authority of the word of God simply by continuing to read. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made That was made. How did God create the world? He spoke. He spoke and it came to be. How did you and I come to be? How will my little baby girl in just a couple days come to be? God spoke. The Word, which is a person, is our Creator. Think about that. It's our Creator. Everything that we have our mind, our heart, our intellect, Our working lungs, our working hands, our limbs, everything came from that creator. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Are you noticing it? The Word is our creator. He says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jeremiah the prophet says this, like the clay in the potter's hand, so you are in my hand. We need to think about that more. The Word of God is our Creator. We are here because the Word of God spoke to us and made us be. As God crafted us, each of us individually, uniquely, specially, so we are today. And that is because God's Word spoke. And I think that's a really powerful answer to what authority does it have in my life? And someone already answered the question has all authority? It's your Creator. He's your maker. Everything that he said is important to you because you aren't here otherwise. We don't have life. We don't have hope. We don't have breath in our lungs. We don't have a heartbeat and a pulse unless God said, let it be so. So the word of God is our authority. We could stop right there because it's our creator. What authority does it have in my life? It has all authority in my life. I don't exist without it. You don't exist without it. But let's keep going, because the Word of God gives us a lot more text on this concept. In 2 Timothy 3.16, and we will get back to the rest of the passage in a little bit. But Paul, writing to his protege Timothy, says this. He says, all Scripture is God-breathed. I love that. God-breathed. Now, that is a powerful statement, is it not? These aren't just men who wrote the words down that they thought were best. Um... Up here, I could say anything I want, couldn't I? I'm a pastor. I can come up with any sort of lesson I want. That's not what happened with the apostles and the prophets. They spoke as God breathed. They wrote it down as God influenced them. They wrote it down as God inspired them. Every single word is not to the credit and to the prophets and the apostles. It is to God himself because he breathed it. Now, if God was going to write a message in the sky, the literal sky, and was going to do that once in our lifetime, and said, on this date... January 29th, 2023, I'm going to put a message in the sky and I want everyone to come out and take a look at it because it's really, really important. Do you think we would? Do you think we'd go take a look at the sky and see what God's message was that he thought was so important he was going to write it in the sky because it's his very breath, his very words? I think we would. All scripture is God-breathed. 66 books. What is it? 39 Old Testament, 27 New Testament. Hopefully I have the math right there. All of those books, every word, every line, it comes out of the mouth of God. Man does not take credit for that. Have you guys ever read the Bible? Have you ever read it through? Is man capable of this? There's no way. Now I' am a skeptic by nature. I don't know if any of you are. I'm a skeptic by nature, so I worked perfectly with college students because they're skeptical, too. So a bunch of skeptics in the same room together, and I was skeptical for many parts of my life, thinking, "There's no way God is responsible for this." And then I read it. I read it cover to cover. And you know what I came to the conclusion I came to? No man is capable of that. It's too deep, it's too complex, it's too poetic, it's too vast, it's too beautiful. There's too many layers. It makes my brain hurt. No man could come up with this. All Scripture is God-breathed. Therefore, it has authority, because this is the mind and the word of our Creator, what He wants us to know. Twice that we know of, God spoke audibly from heaven regarding His Son, Jesus. The first time was when Jesus was baptized. John the Baptist baptized Jesus, and a dove came down, and a voice came from heaven, The second time is when Jesus went on the mountain and was transfigured. You guys remember that? Where he went on the mountain and glowed his glory for Peter, James, and John. And a voice audibly came down from heaven. And both times it said the same thing. God audibly spoke and said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. What did we just talk about from John chapter 1? These are Jesus' words. Every thought Every intention, every will that we need is within these pages. And God audibly spoke from heaven twice and said, Listen to my son. Make no mistake about it. He's in charge. He has full authority in your life. Listen to him. I think if I heard God audibly speak, I would listen up. <laughs> I would pay attention. I remember my dad, who was 6'6", six, six, 300 some pounds, spoke. I listened usually. I listened because he was a large man and could do a lot. Uh, In English class, in my senior year in high school, I had a teacher whose name was Bruce Steele. He was a black belt, third degree black belt in karate. When the man told me to do something, I did it because his name was Bruce (laughs) Steele. When the God of the universe, the Almighty God, says something like that audibly from heaven, what do you think we should do? Listen to Jesus. We just discovered right here that the word of God is the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. God himself. Is it pretty important to us? Is it authoritative in our life? It absolutely is. Paul in Galatians 1 said this, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me it's not man's gospel. I cannot take credit for it. It did not come from me. I could not have imagined this. I could not have come up with this. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of who? The word. The word. The gospel came from our Lord Jesus Christ. It did not come from Paul or any of the apostles or any of the prophets or any man of God. It came from God himself. And Paul wants us to know that what we're holding here is very, very special. It's unique. Paul is also probably saying this. <laughs> don't shoot the messenger. This is not my gospel. These are not my words. I'd love to say that to you today. Okay? If anything bothers you up here today, don't shoot the messenger. These are not my words, okay? But it's interesting to know that God does the heavy lifting. Even a pastor, that takes a tremendous weight off our shoulders to know that I don't have to build this church. I don't have to defend the Bible. God does it himself. Because it's his word, and it's his church, and we are his people. Now, if God's word is anything less than our authority, if it's not our authority then it has no say over how we live, does it? It has no bearings on my life. I could read it. I could not read it. I could listen to what it says. I don't have to listen to what it says because it's not authoritative. If it's not authoritative, then I have the option to read it and obey it or not. That's my choice. I'm autonomous, right? I live in New Hampshire. So if I want to read it and obey it, I can. If not, no big deal because it's not authoritative. If it's not authoritative, then I can pick and choose what texts I agree with. I can like Colossians and I can hate James because it's up to me because it's not authoritative. If it's not authoritative, it can yield to any other message in life. If anything else sounds more pleasing or more helpful or more relevant to my soul, I can listen to that and not the word of God because it's not authoritative. If it's not authoritative, it doesn't matter how I interpret it. You could make it say this. I could make it say this because it doesn't matter because it's not authoritative. But is it authoritative? It absolutely is. And if God's word is our authority, and I believe even in a small sample size, we prove that sufficiently, then it determines how we live. 100%. God gets to say how I live, how I believe, how I choose to make my choices because he's in authority. Number two, I must read it And I must obey what it says. This isn't optional. This is why we do this. I don't have the option to not preach the Bible. I'm a minister of God. God tells us what we do and we say, yes, sir. If God's word is our authority, we must agree with all of it. Every ounce of it, every doctrine, every truth we find in scripture, all of it is for us. Whether it's hard or easy. If God's word is our authority, then it yields to nothing. No other message. You guys have ever seen one of those yield signs that nobody listens to? We have one by our house. Coming off of I-93, there's a yield sign. Nobody listens to that yield sign. I'm coming down Cottage Street and I have to yield because they're not yielding. Well, if God's word is our authority, it yields to nothing. Everything else yields to God's word. If God says this and we think that, we're wrong. If God says this and the media says that, it's wrong. God's word yields to nothing. And if God's word is our authority, we must be careful to interpret it properly. This is not a bunch of I thinks. This is a bunch of God says. And I need to figure out what the intent of God was when he wrote this because it's my authority. And if God's word is our authority, and it is, then it's sufficient for my life. It's everything I need. All I need to do is open it, read it, and obey it. Now, let's keep going, because what power does God's Word have? It needs to have more than authority, because authority doesn't make us feel good. We want to know if there's any power in the Word of God. Well, what power does God's Word have? Here's some powerful things. Um, Any gym rats out there? Any weightlifters? These two guys look pretty strong. They pick up rocks, they put them down, and they become really, really strong. Here's a couple strong things. Here's a really, sorry, Christy. Christy's a missionary in Berlin, Germany. Because a lot of you knew that know who that is, Adolf Hitler. He was able to convince millions of people to kill millions of people. Pretty powerful man. Here's a couple of powerful things. Addiction is very powerful. Sin is very powerful. So the Word of God better have some power, right? It better have some power within this to accomplish a lot of good in the in a world that has a lot of powerful things. Well, listen to what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, the word of God is living. Now, have, you've read a lot of books, right? Like me, you've read a lot of books. Maybe some people have encouraged you to read books, recommended books for you to read. Has anyone ever said to you, boy, you really need to read that book because it's alive? No, that's no one's ever said that. It has a good ending, has a good plot twist, has good character development. No one's ever said to me, Todd, read that book because. It's living. But the writer of Hebrews says the Word of God is living and active. Now how is that possible? It's a book full of words and things to say. How is it living and active? Well, what did we just discuss about John chapter one? Who is the Word? Where is Jesus today? He's in heaven. Is he living? Is he active? The word of God is living and the word of God is active because he's not dead. He's on his throne in heaven and his words and his commandments and his will are eternal. So when we read the word of God, it is never changing. It is fully authoritative in our lives. Not only is it living and active though, it is sharper than any two edged sword. And I did a little lesson for my kids last night on this concept. They have these little plastic swords. So I was pretending it was a sword a real sword, and I I showed them the two things. I showed them the Bible, and I showed them the sword and said, which one is sharper? And the kids knew where I was going, so they answered correctly. They said, the Bible is, Daddy. And I said, why? And my oldest son said, because it can do things, swords cannot. The Word of God says it pierces to the division of soul and spirit. There's no tool on... Earth that can do that, besides the Word of God. We have scalpels that can get into the body and into the organs, but nothing can get into the soul and the spirit except the Word of God. But it can also get into the joints, into the marrow. It can also discern the thoughts and intentions of your heart. Now that makes you a little nervous, does not not? It can tell you what you're thinking. It can tell you what you're doing. It can tell you that you're wrong. Remember what it says about the Holy Spirit? Jesus says, now when he comes, when the Holy Spirit comes, the helper, he will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. The word of God and the Holy Spirit are the best lie detector that's ever existed. And I learned that firsthand. That's probably a picture of me there in my mid-20s being hooked up to the polygraph and God going, I'm going to God. I'm not that bad. And God's going, you're a liar. You're a big liar. You're not in the word. You're in all kinds of sin. You're a hypocrite. And he convicted me according to sin, righteousness, and judgment. And the word of God did it by itself. It gets all the credit. I simply opened it and suddenly my entire thoughts and deeds were exposed before me like a mirror was dropped in front of me. And it was uncomfortable, guys. It was very uncomfortable. But the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Is it powerful? Absolutely. Look at what it says in Isaiah 55, verse 11. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. God breathed. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent. There's a guarantee from God. That the word of God will accomplish much. It will accomplish exactly what He sent it to do. This is a picture of crop. It's a big field of crop. I am a pastor and looking for a big crop in this church, in this community. I want a big crop. How do we accomplish that? Let the word out of its cage. You see that concept of David when he says, my cup runneth over. Well, when God sends his word to this earth, it spills over. It accomplishes much. And now, sometimes we look at this and go, well, now, it doesn't look like God is winning upon this world. It looks like evil's winning, but we don't know the end of the story yet, do we? I mean, we do know the end of the story, but we haven't seen it. We have not seen the final buzzer yet and neither has this evil side. And so when God's word is sent out and his ministers take that word to the four corners of the earth, God will receive a crop that is unbelievable and his cup will run over and over and over for all of eternity because that's what God's word does and it cannot be thwarted. In fact, I would love to tell you and love to reaffirm to you that this for thousands of years was tried to, people tried to stamp it out, get rid of it, remove it, obliterate it blotted out as if it never existed. And here we have it today in many, many languages and many, many versions because God's word cannot be thwarted. And we will preach the word of God here at Crossroads because it's the only path to success we have. Romans, Paul says this, so faith in Jesus comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How are you saved today? Did anyone share with you the message of the gospel or the word of God? 100% of the time, right? Every single person who has faith and salvation in Jesus Christ, the word of God was the catalyst. Someone gave you the message of the gospel, you listened, you responded, and you're alive today. It's because the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And when God sends His Word into the world, it works. And it accomplishes everything He wanted it to. So our life today, our eternal life, our hope, our eternal hope, is based upon the truth of God's Word. And I'm so thankful for that. Is the Word of God powerful? It is. And in fact, if it was not powerful... Here's an interesting way to know that it is powerful. If the Bible was not powerful, no one would be threatened by what it says. Would they? We wouldn't have to take it out of schools. We wouldn't have to hush it up. We wouldn't have to try to hide it and suppress it, would we? It would just, we would just pass over it, no big deal. But the Word of God is powerful, so we've got to get rid of it. Those who do not want the Word of God, they have to do a lot of work to suppress that because they know the Word is powerful. And if the word is powerful, and it's divinely powerful, then it's clearly not of this world, and its value is off the charts. I can't recommend that you guys read any other book except this. I really can't. Because it's always going to leave you wanting. Even good devotionals, even good podcasts and things that are out there, unless they're the word of God, saturated in the word of God, you're always going to be left wanting. But when you read the word of God and you dive into the word of God, your life becomes improved in every aspect. You get strong. You get equipped. You become capable ministers where before you were incapable of anything good. And it's all due to the credit of the glory of God. And if the word of God is divinely powerful and we prove that it is, then it's sufficient for our lives. It's authoritative. It's powerful. And maybe one more before we close today. What wisdom does God's word have? as always it needs to have wisdom though does it not it can't just be interesting or intriguing it has to have something beyond the other smart things in this life we have a lot of smarties in this world and i don't mean the candy although those are good too um we have a lot of smart things in this world anybody know who that guy in the bottom is that's Einstein. I hear Einstein's name more as a ridicule than I do ever you guys ever hear that? Someone does something stupid and they go, Nice job, Einstein. In other words, you dummy. Um, somewhere up up there in the top right. Anybody know who that is? Anchor. Who is it? Uh, that's that's me at the beach, actually. Just thought I'd put myself up there. That's right. Wow. You hear what she said? You are pale. She's right. She maybe statue pale? That's pretty pale. And (laughs) we're having some fun here today. And of course, you can go go to education. You can go to colleges and seminaries and higher higher learning education. And you can get degrees and doctorates and masters. And you can be declared smart. But is God's word wise? Because wisdom is better than smart, isn't it? Wisdom is, wow, wisdom is powerful. Listen to what the word of God says in Psalm 9. The law of the Lord is... Perfect. I gave you a list of 10 things at the beginning that need to be improved and everything in this life needs to be improved. Has anyone ever described to you something that is perfect? Whenever you get a recommendation, do they say it's perfect? There's literally nothing that can be improved. There's no flaws. There's no possibility for it to be broken. No, no one says that. It's good. It's helpful. It's profitable. But the law of the Lord is perfect. It cannot be improved at all. It revives the soul. It can take a soul that we just sang about that is dead, flatlined, in sin, buried, hopeless, and bring it back to life. And I'm standing here today because that happened to me. The perfect law of the Lord revived my soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise... The simple, you have a simple man standing in front of you here today. If there's any wisdom coming out of Pastor Todd, it's because the law of the Lord has done it. It's perfect, it's testimony is sure. The precepts of the Lord are right, righteous, perfectly righteous, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. What book can do that? What can do that? What can revive the soul? What can make the wise, excuse me, make the simple into wise? What can rejoice the heart? What can enlighten the eyes? He goes on, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey in the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. It would be pretty good to have much fine gold, wouldn't it, in this world? Nine, 999.9, these gold bars say. That's pretty fine gold. That's pretty close to a thousand. The word of God is more valuable than much Fine gold because its wisdom is not of this world. It transcends the world. It's better than the drippings of the honeycomb. It's better than anything this world can produce any amount of intellect, any amount of power, any amount of satisfaction, any amount of gratification. Anything the world can produce, God's wisdom goes beyond. In Psalm 119, the psalmist continues and says, Your commandment makes me wiser than my enemies. You want to get wise? Get into the gym of God. Exercise your mind and your heart with the word of God. For it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers. I want to send my teachers a Christmas letter and say that. (laughs) Guess what, guys? I'm smarter than you are. No, I would never say that. For your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged. For I keep your precepts. I hold my feet back from every evil way in order to keep your word. Now we looked at some smarties. Here's some smarties. We got Einstein. I think that's Aristotle in the bottom left. That's not me. I'm not that pale. And Stephen Hawking, I think his name is. And basically what the word of God says is when when you have the wisdom of God, even though you are simple, we are simple people. The simple will become the wise. The wise will be smarter than the smartest people of the world because you not only have wisdom, you have God's wisdom. You think like God does. By reading this book, you can go from a simpleton to like God in your thoughts and your actions. And therefore, no man can hold a candle to you. If God's word was not wisdom from above, it would be full of errors, It would be full of contradictions. It would be full of simplicities, antiquated notions, and falsehoods. And as I said before, if you don't believe the Word of God is wise and powerful and authoritative, I have one simple solution for you. Read it. Because every time I read the Word of God, I realize that I'm looking up at something that I can't even see the top of. It's unbelievable. It is so complex, so poetic, so beautiful, so vast that I can read this over and over and over and over and just get to the tip of the iceberg. And if God's word was not wisdom, we would be able to easily tell that. We would find all kinds of holes. But if God's word is wisdom from above, and it is, then we could find no other source remotely close to its value. Now, we live in a weird world today where everyone is doing stuff with their mind with almost no breaks. Have you noticed that? There's no time for quiet anymore. There's no time for gaps anymore. We go from one thing to the next and generally those things are all things that are sending messages to our brains. And we think we're productive because of that. We're we're getting news and, and sports and stuff about medicine and social media and all kinds of things. Media is getting into our brains and we're going, man, we have a vast array of knowledge around us and when, in all honesty, guys, we're probably getting dumber because we're being kept away from the wisdom of God. And this is the only thing that can give us wisdom, God's wisdom. So, as a pastor, I can give you no greater counsel than to get in the Word of God, to step away at times from those things that are consuming our minds and get to the real source of wisdom. And if God's Word is wisdom from above, then guess what it is? It's sufficient. And you're seeing a pattern here it's authoritative, it's powerful, it's God's wisdom. And it's sufficient. Now, we do have two more to look at. But I was going to do this anyways because I was looking at this. And I had a weird week, as you guys can probably imagine. It was kind of a hard week. And I didn't have the most office time. And then I told my wife, I have an ironic problem. I have too much content. In a week that I didn't have a lot of study time, I just had so many slides. You guys don't know my process, but usually I have 30 to 35 slides. I have 77 today. So I don't think we're going to get to the rest. I don't want to rush through the rest even though it's really good, I want to pause right here and I want to pick up next week. I want to look at the purpose and the benefit and then I want to look at the therefore. And I'm hoping if you listened carefully today then you can come up with a therefore on your own. If the word of God is sufficient, let's just do the math here quickly. Come on screen. If you do the math, and this is a very simple equation, take divine authority, divine power, and divine wisdom, and put them together. What do you have? What's our word? Do you believe that? Do you believe the word of God is sufficient for your life? Do you believe it has every answer, every treasure that you need? I had to take the long route, the long way around to find that, and I'm sad that that happened, but I want you to understand as soon as you can that the word of God is sufficient. So we're going to continue this lesson next week. We're going to look at the benefit, the purpose, and we're going to look at the therefore. What do we do if God's word is sufficient? I hope you come back. But I'm hoping you can fill in that that equation by yourself. If God's word is sufficient, what should we do? Read. Read it. Memorize it. Meditate upon it. Obey it. Talk about it. Repeat. Would you bow in prayer with me? Father, I thank you for your sufficient word. As a church, you've you've told us to stay in our lane, teach my word, teach it, let it out of its cage. It'll do all the heavy lifting. You do not have to build a church, Pastor Todd, because I will do it myself. God, we don't have to defend the Bible. You've just defended the Bible by your own word, and we thank you for it. Thank you for the sufficiency of God's word. And I pray for all the souls in this room that we'd remember that today. That when our mind and the devil himself tries to get us to scurry about chasing all kinds of different methods and things, that we'd remember where all the authority comes from, all the power lies, all the wisdom flows from, and we go to the sufficient word and say, I'm making camp right here. God, show us that this is the only way to success, as a church and as an individual and as a body of believers. And we thank you for the sufficiency of God's word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.